The Christmas story. I know it's not Christmas time, but we are looking at the Christmas story today. The classic Christmas story that people are familiar with is about the young woman Mary, pregnant with child, traveling to Bethlehem with her fiancé Joseph. When they arrive in Bethlehem, they discover that there is no accommodations available, so they make do by staying in an animal barn, a stable, where Mary gives birth then to the baby Jesus. The classic nativity scene is of the baby Jesus laying in an animal feeding trough as a makeshift crib. People are marveling at the newborn baby. Wise men from the east are presenting gifts. Shepherds are rejoicing. Angels are singing. Farm animals are lowing. And the little drummer boy is playing rump-a-pump-pump on his drum. It's a very serene, romantic image. Today, we're going to look at the account of the birth and early childhood of Jesus found in Matthew's Gospel. And rather than it being this peaceful, idyllic scene suitable for framing and being placed on the fireplace mantle, we find that it's a story of mystery and intrigue and danger and violence. Last time, we looked at the family tree of Jesus. And we found that he didn't come from a long line of the best and the brightest of humanity. Instead, he came from a family tree of both winners and losers, of godly and wicked, of famous and nobodies, honorable and shameful. The message for us in that is that Jesus is the Messiah for all of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we have done, He came to save all of us. And He put on the flesh and blood of humanity in all of its glory and its shame to do it. We're reminded of Hebrews 4.15 where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, let's flip over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're picking up today in verse 18. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Marriages were usually arranged by parents in those days, and once an, an agreement was made between the parties involved, the two people to be married were considered legally bound in marriage at that point, even though they didn't live together yet. During this engagement period, the woman would continue to live with her parents, and any interaction between the couple would definitely not involve any physical contact. Consummation of the marriage would not take place until after the formal wedding ceremony. 
Knowing that explains for us why Joseph is referred to here as Mary's husband already, and divorce is being talked about already, even though they are not formally married yet. Before Joseph and Mary are formally married, and before they have come together to consummate the marriage, it's discovered that Mary is pregnant. It appears that something very inappropriate and unfortunate has taken place. Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph. She's done a scandalous thing. She has committed a terrible sin and humiliated Joseph in the worst kind of way. He's a very kind man, though. He had the legal right to expose Mary to public disgrace for what she's done. But he chooses instead to divorce her quietly or privately. He doesn't want to get revenge on her. He wants to do what is right and honorable and cause as little humiliation and shame as possible for Mary and those others that are involved. Interestingly, other than the story of the birth and childhood of, Joseph, of, of, of Jesus, Joseph is not mentioned again in the Bible. And the question is asked, well, what happens to Joseph after this? We don't know for sure. It's believed that he probably died sometime during Jesus' latter childhood years and before the beginning of his public ministry. What we learn about Joseph in the story that we're looking at today is, what, is all that we really have about Joseph and we find in it that Joseph is a kind man, that he's a man of honor, that he's a man of great faith, he's a man of courage. He's a man who lived an obedient and submitted life to the Lord, and we will see that again and again as we go through this story. Verse 20, it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So as Joseph is agonizing over this very unfortunate, humiliating situation that he has found himself in, he has an unusual dream in which an angel of the Lord appears to him and it tells him, to go ahead and take Mary as his wife, that the child inside of her is not from her having relations with another man, but has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's going to give birth to a son, and he is to give that child the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, that is all a whole lot easier to read than it would be to live. Try to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. It would be very hard to get past the emotional storm raging inside of you and accept all of this. But that's what Joseph does. He exercises a tremendous amount of faith. And we will see as we move through this story that he does it again and again. He will have a number of dreams in which an angel of the Lord speaks to him, giving him one difficult thing to do after another, and Joseph steps out in faith, trusting the Lord each time. The angel says, you're going, you are to give him the name Jesus. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yahshua, 
means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. The angel provides an explanation for this name when he says, because he will save his people from their sins. In the very name of this child is the message of the gospel. The name speaks of this great message that this child, or this great mission that this child has. He is salvation. He will save his people from their sins. He will save us from our sins. Jesus Christ came into this world with the most important purpose any human being has ever had to save humanity. This is not a Marvel Comics superhero story. This is the real thing. The angel of the Lord tells Joseph what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth, or perhaps more accurately, the virgin conception, is a mystery. But it's not an optional point of faith for us to embrace. Without the virgin conception, Jesus would not be the one able to accomplish our salvation. We don't know what happened inside of the body of Mary when Jesus was conceived. What took place ensured, though, that he was both truly and fully human and truly and fully God at the same time. Both were needed for Jesus to serve as our Messiah, who perfectly bridges the chasm between fallen humanity and holy God. Jesus was perfect humanity, uncorrupted by a sinful nature, and also God the Son, mysteriously enfolded in human flesh. Martin Luther said the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew points out for us, his readers, that the virgin conception of Jesus was a fulfillment of the prophecy spoken through the prophet Isaiah, found in Isaiah 7.14. Matthew, he will make these same kinds of connections for us throughout his book, and in particular throughout the story as we go through it today. The prophecy said they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, the God of the universe dwelling with us in our time and space, living as a human being with the purpose to rescue us from our sins and the fate that comes with that of being forever separated from God. He came to give us a new future with him in relationship with himself forever. John 1.14, it said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 24, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph, he did exactly as the Lord told him to do. It's hard for us to not hold Joseph in high regard when we see how he conducts himself throughout this story. As we have already noted, he is a man of great faith in the Lord, and he behaves in the most honorable and courageous way imaginable in these situations. He takes Mary home to be his wife. He accepts this child into his family, and may we be people of integrity and faith like Joseph was in this regard. Verse 
1 of chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a small town about five miles south of Jerusalem. We learn from Luke's account that Joseph and Mary had moved to Bethlehem from Nazareth because of the Roman census taking place, which required them to go to their ancestral hometown to be counted. Bethlehem was their ancestral home as descendants of David. That was David's hometown. Apparently, they chose to remain in Bethlehem after Jesus was born, rather than returning to Nazareth, because that is where we find them now. We're not told how much time has passed since the birth of Jesus and when these magi show up looking for him. Scholars guess so that it, it was probably several months to as much as two years after the birth of Jesus had taken place. And Mary and Joseph are still here in Bethlehem at this time. Now, despite what people might assume, Jesus, see, he was not born in 1 A.D. King Herod died in 4 B.C. So we know Jesus had to have been born before that, since Herod plays a significant part in the story here in Matthew chapter 2. Bible scholars estimate that Jesus could have been born as much as two years before Herod's death, which means Jesus was probably born between 6 and 4 B.C. You go, well, how come they didn't, you know, make all the dating to coincide with that? Well, they made some mistakes in the dating when they first came up with that calendar in the old days. It's since been corrected. These magi from a foreign land to the east of Israel observed some kind of astronomical phenomenon in the sky called a star here, which leads them to Jerusalem. They believe this sign means that a very special king has been born and they come to worship him. These magi, often referred to as wise men in the Christmas pageants that we have all grown up with, they're believed to have been astrologers, priests, wise men from probably the region of ancient Persia. These men, among other things, they watched and interpreted the appearance and movement of objects in the sky, such as planets, stars, comets, various signs, astrology. Astronomers in our own day have tried to identify and speculate about what this star, this astronomical phenomenon, might have been that these magi saw. Was it a comet, a meteor, an unusual alignment of planets? Was it simply an unusual supernatural object of some kind? Some of the theories proposed are interesting, but we really don't know what it was that they saw. It was something, though, dramatic enough to get their attention and convince them that something very important had taken place, the birth of a very special king in Israel. 
Now, King Herod, who we will be seeing appear again and again in this story in chapter 2, he had a reputation as a brutal and ruthless man. Very insecure and paranoid about plots against him. He had numerous wives and children and close associates of his put to death because he thought they were plotting against him. He was a very dangerous and unpredictable individual. Verse 3 says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Read, paranoid. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So when Herod hears that some new king has been born, he's disturbed, it says. He is troubled, he's agitated, he's paranoid. Rather than being excited about the possibility that the Messiah may have been born, he sees this new king as a threat to him. He Ask the religious leaders where the scripture said the Messiah would be born. And in verse 5, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of, Jude, the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew again draws our attention as readers to the fulfillment of prophecy about the Messiah here, about where the Messiah would be born, in Bethlehem. And this here is a quotation of Micah 5.2. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. This snake, Herod, has no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wants to find the baby and kill him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So the Magi, they set out, for Bethlehem, having learned that that is where the prophecy said the Messiah would be born, and when they get there, somehow this star leads and confirms for them the place where the child is. Verse 11, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Obviously, gold is something of value. Frankincense and myrrh were also treasures that were greatly prized in those days. These were all gifts appropriate for a king. It says the Magi are warned in a dream to avoid Herod. So they return home using a different route that doesn't go through Jerusalem. This brings us to verse 13. It says, when they had gone, when the Magi had left an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So again, the Lord speaks to Joseph in a dream, this time warning him of Herod's evil intent, and he tells them to escape to Egypt. 
In verse 14 it says, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Again, we know Joseph's faith, his obedience. He wasted no time in taking his family to Egypt. And Matthew, again, points out for us, the readers, how this fulfilled prophecy about the Messiah, quoting here from Hosea 11.1. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So we see Matthew once again pointing out for us that even this evil act by Herod had been predicted by prophecy. Quoting from Jeremiah here, 31, 15, 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Again, an angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph in a dream letting him know that it's safe now to return to Israel. How long were Joseph, Mary, and Jesus in Egypt? We don't know that. Based on other information in the story, it could have been a few days. It could have been almost as long as two years. It was most likely a few months. Herod, he died in 4 B.C., which was not long after he had ordered the massacre of the babies in Bethlehem. Coincidental? I don't know. Finally, 21, he says, So he got up, Joseph, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. It appears that Joseph had originally intended to return to Bethlehem in Judea and settle there. But the Lord warns him against doing that because Herod's son Archelaus was now the ruler over that region of Israel. Herod sent Archelaus, shared his father's brutality and worst flaws as a ruler. It was wise for Joseph to not live in Bethlehem, being in such close proximity to Jerusalem and this man who was crazier than his father was. Joseph settled his family further north in the district of Galilee in a town of Nazareth, which is where Jesus would grow up. And we'll pick that st the story up next time there. <clears throat> Excuse me. In closing this morning, the story 
of the birth and early childhood of Jesus, we see here that it was not this peaceful nativity scene of Christmas cards. This was a very special child who would change history and the future of humanity. This was Emmanuel, God with us, very God in human flesh who came to save us from our sins. The name given this child was Jesus, which means the Lord saves. But Satan tried to stop this baby from being born, tried to kill him by taking advantage of Herod's twisted soul. But as it says in Psalm 33:11, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purpose of his heart through all generations. And the Lord's purpose was to provide for us a savior, to rescue us from our sins and to give us a new life with him. Today is the last time we will see Joseph in the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And before we leave him, I want to remind us once again of this man's faith in the Lord, his obedience to the Lord, his honor and courage in the face of tremendous challenges. May we follow the good example that he leaves for us in this story. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have preserved the story about your son's birth. And Father, I pray that it would not be just a Christmas card or a nativity scene, but it would speak to our souls, to our hearts, about this dramatic rescue plan that you put in place to save us from our sins by becoming a human being, living among us, dying as a sacrifice for us, and coming back to life on the third day so that we can overcome death and have eternal life with you. I pray that these precious truths would be ingrained in our mind as we reflect on this story. In Jesus' name, amen.